I'm George. Uh, I'm giving the talk on modern slavery today, as Eddie just said. Um, modern slavery is quite a big topic. Today we're talking about quite a specific aspect of it. Um, but at the end, in the con questions and contribution stage, feel free to ask me about sort of any, any wider things because um, I wrote my master's thesis on this, so hopefully I'll be able to have a good answer to that. Um, the talk is essentially in three parts. Um, the first part, I want to talk a little bit about a little bit about what modern slavery is. I think it's a term that lots of people have kind of an idea of what it is, but they might not necessarily know the origins or the politics that sort of sits behind it. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And I, when I do that, I'll talk a little bit about why I think that it's actually maybe not the best way to view some really complex forms of like extreme exploitation. Um, the second part of the talk is obviously focusing in a lot more about how the Tories use uh, modern slavery as a justification for lots of their sort of um, really abhorrent um, immigration policies, um, particularly uh, Theresa May and Prissy Patel do this a lot, so it's a, a big focus on them too. And then the final section is um, I want to talk a little bit about where the labour movement is on this um, and what we can and should be doing a bit better um, to fight this and I just realized there should be an extra T there but there's not so uh, yeah so what is modern slavery um, I think it, everyone has an idea of that as I say um, but there's no sort of singular definition of what modern slavery is um, it's a term that's used sort of variously by politicians business leaders uh, celebrities all sorts of people um, you might have even heard that there's sort of more slaves in the world than there uh, today than there ever has been before um, and I think that that's quite a, a controversial and, and iffy statement. I'll go on to why in a little bit. Um, it's a term that was really popularized in the 1990s, but then became a lot more significant in the 2000s, especially after 2010, um, especially in the UK after 2010 anyway. Um, and it was used by all sorts of people from Theresa May to Barack Obama to Donald Trump in, in sort of varying contexts and varying ways. Um, as I say, there's no one definition, but um, the UN's International Organization of Migration refers to it as situations of exploitation where a person cannot refuse or leave the situation due to threats of violence, coercion, uh, or abuse of power. And I think this is quite a useful starting place as a definition because it highlights just how broad um, definitions of modern slavery can be. Um, and the reason that they're so broad is because modern slavery isn't anything. It's not any one thing. It's, it's an umbrella term for sort of a really wide variety of uh, types of exploitation. So it includes uh, forced labor, it can mean trafficking, servitude, forced marriage, caste systems, varyingly depending on what situation you come across it in. Um, and I think that this is sort of the first real issue that I, I have with, with, with modern slavery as a term is that it includes so much in, in one thing that um, it's difficult to, to see the nuance in any of them. And I'll talk a little bit more about that as, as I um, move into the next section. I think there are sort of three strands that bring us to, to the understanding of modern slavery that's kind of common in um, society today. Uh, the first of those is Kevin Bales, who is an American academic um, at Nottingham University. He goes to a conference in the 90s and he picks up a leaflet which says there are millions of slaves in the world today. Um, and for him, it becomes sort of a, a real like sticking point. And he, he researches it for years and years. He still is. Um, and it's sort of like if you read his stuff about it now, he talks about the early days of it as sort of a crusade against these people who didn't believe it existed in the world. Um, 
Uh, he writes this book, which is called Disposable People, uh, New Slavery in the Global Economy. And in that book, um, which got really popular and got lots of attention, he distinguishes between new and old slavery. And so old slavery is obviously um, the slave trade and the enslavement of people and uh, in Africa, um, where a person could literally be owned as property. New slavery, on the other hand, isn't about owning someone necessarily. It's about... Um, being able to use them as cheaply as possible uh, for a short term and then being able to get rid of them uh, when you're done. And for bales, it's not part of the regular functioning of the capitalist economy. It's this sort of shady underbelly and a crime um, which operates outside of that. Um, as time's gone on, Bales has actually distanced himself from this like dichotomy between the two a little bit, but it's important because it's stuck in the minds of politicians and the public. Um, and it is basically where we get the idea of modern slavery from, even though he calls it new slavery at the time. Um, I think there's a couple of things that are important to draw out from this. The first is um, I think that the way that it links historic slavery with modern slavery is actually quite depoliticizing. I think that by making claims that the struggle against modern slavery is just a contemporary version of the, of the, the struggle against historic slavery, you move it out of the realms of like reasonable political debate in a way that is really unhelpful because, you know, every, everyone in the world, barring maybe the most vile corners of the far right, think that historic slavery was a bad thing and we're all on the same side in that. Um, and so it follows that if, if you're making this comparison uh, between modern slavery and historic slavery, that we're all on the same side in the fight against modern slavery. Um, and I'm not sure that's true because when we talk about modern slavery, what we're talking about is exploitation at the sharpest edges of uh the global economy um and so the, the issue comes where we talk about this this issue of um modern slavery as as, as not part of the regular functioning of, of the economy um yeah because we're talking about the, the sharpest edges of labor exploitation at the uh edges of the economy uh and it's, it happens in almost every industry in the planet um it's involved, uh, and it, because it's capitalist exploitation, uh, viewing it as differently to that. Um, sorry, I've lost my place a little bit here. Um, yeah, when 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 you start to view modern slavery, sorry, um, as separate to the functioning of the, uh, the economy, it becomes easy to view us as all on the same side. But when you view it as part of um, capitalist exploitation, it becomes clear that we're not all on the same side in that because bosses and uh, politicians, their desire to maximize profit is always going to come first. Um, so <clears throat> they will always put that first and it can't necessarily be overcome by this idea that we're all in it together kind of thing. Um, I think the next strand that's important for, for, for our purposes here today is, is um, a guy called Andrew Forrest, who you can see there in the middle uh, with his cows. Um, he is an Australian mining magnate, um, and his daughter goes to Nepal, and she's really shocked to find um, child labor uh, and child exploitation when she goes to Nepal. And she comes back and she tells her dad about it, and her dad decides to audit his supply chain. Um, sorry. He decides to audit his supply chain, um, and as he does that, he discovers that he has forced labor in his supply chain. I think if I remember rightly, it was that the bosses in, in certain companies down the supply chain were withholding the, the migration documents, so the passports and the visas, 
of um, the workers. And it spurred him on to create the Walk Free Foundation, which uh, is his sort of NGO type thing um, that he founds. And the aim of that is to end modern slavery in his lifetime. Um, and I think there's sort of an interesting parallel between the, these two guys. So Kevin Bell is the academic and uh, Andrew Forrest, the, the sort of big CEO billionaire. They both sort of make it their mission. And it's about them as opposed to about actually helping people in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, so he, he, he goes to Bill Gates and he, he wants to find out how, um, how to get attention for this issue. And Bill Gates basically says, you need an eye-catching number. So I don't, I don't know how much people know about Bill Gates' vaccination stuff, but he, he, he has lots of figures in there and like that's how he grabs headlines. Um, and so, uh, so Andrew Forrest takes him up on this and he goes and he meets up with Kevin Bales and they create the Global Slavery Index, which is basically a method of measuring uh quote unquote the amount of slaves that there are in the world at any one time um and they the first iteration of the the modern slavery uh, the global slavery index estimates um that there were 29 million slaves in the world and then subsequent iterations have, have revised that estimate up and up and up and now it sits at about 45.8 if you uh, believe them and it's a really eye-catching number like it eye-watering almost you know um and when you see that it's, it's not surprising to understand that it does grab attention it does grab headlines but the project is repeatedly criticized on a number of grounds its methodology is really iffy um it's inconsistently applies the criteria that it suggests are important for measuring modern slavery uh it uses unverified assumptions about countries uh to sort of pick up these these uh estimates including um being similar to western europe whatever that sort of happens to mean um as if that could ever be quantifiable or a useful category in understanding why there there would be more or less modern slavery in a place um and i think part of the reason that you can't really measure it and part of the reason that this becomes an issue is because as i mentioned it's sort of this umbrella term um it defies quantification because it's not anything any one thing um we're talking about something that's been identified in brick kilns in Cambodia, uh, back streets in Italy, factories in Bangladesh, uh, nail salons and car washes in England. And we're talking about things that range from forced marriage all the way to car systems. And being able to usefully lump those things in together, I don't think is something that exists. Um, I think that it causes a lot of trouble because actually what you end up with is a situation where someone is having to make judgments about what it is or isn't one slavery and that person is normally an academic at a western university uh, for example nottingham um and i don't think that it does any good for solving any of those things because it, it gives this idea that there's sort of a silver bullet that you can have to fix all of these really vast different experiences and these really vast different types of um exploitation and i i personally am unconvinced that that exists um beyond you know socialist revolution etc but that's not really helpful <laughs> you know in from where we are now um the third thing that i think is important is uh, at the at the end of the 90s obviously the the fall of communism in the ussr um western governments get thrown into a frenzy about the idea that there would be mass east to west migration and specifically within that there's this idea that there would be mass uh sexual exploitation of, of women who have been moved across borders um 
And, you know, that stereotype exists still in, in, in the idea of like, you know, the Eastern European prostitute is, is quite a common stereotype. Um, and I think that, you know, there's evidence that it was a problem at the time. I'm not sat here saying that people weren't exploited because when that opening happens, people were going to take advantage of it in, in a really horrible and negative way. But the evidence actually suggests that it was on a much smaller scale than um, you would have, that then Western governments would sort of have you believe about it. And that actually it was more of a problem between uh, Eastern European countries than from East to West, which never got the attention in quite the same way. Um, and I think that that's sort of the first place that you really get this idea of like trafficking as modern slavery, which is where the Tory party comes in in a minute. Um, and it really solidifies this idea that when you're tackling modern slavery, you have to tackle it through the system of borders that we have um, and by making them more strict, obviously. Um, and so that obviously brings us quite neatly onto, sorry, I'm just trying to move myself because I'm in the way now. Um, that brings us onto the Tories and uh, their immigration policy. Um, and I think sometimes when, when people hear about one slavery and hear about the fact that the Tories talk quite a lot about it, it's almost like a bit confusing because it doesn't seem like the type of issue that would be their kind of uh, like ideal issue. Like it's, it seems like a human rightsy thing that they just kind of wouldn't pay a lot of attention to necessarily. Um, and I think there are sort of two reasons why they do. The first, um, as it says there, is, is basically straight up nationalism. Uh, I think it ties quite well into the sort of story that they like to tell themselves and the public about, you know, the British Empire as a progressive force in the world. And we're leaders in human rights because we ended slavery first, which isn't true, but that's the sort of rhetoric that they use. And I think the other thing about it is obviously that it provides a useful moral grounding to their sort of really abhorrent um, immigration policies. Um, and it basically begins with Theresa May as Home Secretary. Um, one of her advisors was a former journalist who had written quite a lot on modern slavery, and she sort of influences Theresa May to, to pick up on it too. And so Theresa May begins to use it as a real moral counterweight to uh, the hostile environment. So at the same time that she's sending out racist vans that say, go home migrants, uh, she begins to talk about the needs to, to, to end modern slavery and help these people um, who are in these really dire situations um, and you see it in her speeches as well uh, she she really clearly plays to the right on issues of migration especially as Nigel Farage and UKIP become really popular um, around the time of the 2015 election um, and then she brings in modern slavery to, to, to give this kind of sense of justice and fairness to these really horrible things that she's pushing um, and so basically in, in 2013, she announces the modern slavery bill uh, and she talks about, you know, ending the traffickers trade and uh, talks about locking up slave drivers. And I think when you look at the rhetoric that she uses around that time, it's quite easy to see that what modern slavery means for her is a chance to really push this strict law and order kind of anti-migrant agenda that the conservatives were really going for at the time and still are, obviously. Um, and it's sort of. Sometimes I, I, I talk about this with people and they're like, oh, do you think do you think she actually cares about one slavery? And basically the answer to that is it's inconsequential to me whether she cares about it. I'm sure hearing about people in really horrible situations was sad for her, but because of the policies that she was putting in are ideologically driven and actually hurt people more, it, it really makes no odds to me. Um, but that's an aside. Um, in 2015, the Act passes, and it does a couple of good things, um, but broadly it's not great. So the, one of the good things it does is it sets up kind of um, 
refuges for people who have been found to be modern slaves, um, which I think is good. Like I think it does actually help people get out of a situation um, and give them somewhere somewhere to go outside of that. Um, but broadly speaking, what it does is um, it empowers the police and it empowers uh, immigration officials to try and act against what they see as modern slavery. Um, and I don't think that it does anything good in that sense. Um, and the other, the only other thing it really does is it kind of um, asks corporations to audit themselves once a year. Um, and so it's, it's a really weak piece of legislation, but it was it was sort of brought into like a lot of fanfare at the time. Um, but broadly, the underpinning of it is is this sort of migrant stuff uh, and this law and order stuff that I mentioned before. Um, but for Theresa May, it basically is is the pinnacle of her kind of career in a lot of ways. She uses it as her kind of legacy piece. Um, and when she becomes prime minister, eventually, she she talks about it lots on the global stage and she uses it in her sort of um, campaign to become prime minister as well. Um, and I think basically, in a lot of ways, she sort of wanted to be seen as kind of a modern Wilberforce, the sort of like person who really spearheads like a, a campaign against it and, and finally manages to end it, um, rightly or wrongly. Um, and so Priti Patel is obviously the next Home Secretary that comes in, and she basically learns from the best in a lot of ways. She does a lot of the same thing that Theresa May does. I think she is actually quite a lot more... She, she she sides a lot more on the sort of anti-migrant law and order side of things, less than the sort of trying to justify it thing that, that Theresa made it, but it is still there. Um, so, for example, um, she takes talks about like breaking the business model of traffickers quite a lot, despite the fact that none of their policies do anything towards breaking the business model of that. Um, when 39 migrants uh, were found dead in the back of a lorry in Kent, uh, she spoke of the need to tra tackle trafficking uh, just three hours after their deaths were discovered. And that was before anyone could have had actually any idea whether those people were trafficked or whether they were migrants that had moved clandestinely. You know, there's, it was before it had even been uh, found out that they, that they were Vietnamese migrants and, and not Chinese migrants, which was what was reported in the first place. So she's talking there about this before, before she can have any idea. And I think it's interesting because there's a sort of second case a few months later where a very similar thing happens, um, where there's a number of men found in the back of a van and they're struggling to breathe. But because they survive, the speech that she gives afterwards is a lot more about, you know, this is illegal immigration. We need to, like, crack down harder on it. And the only difference in those situations, literally the only difference in those situations is that the people survive versus the people they died. And I think that's a really interesting sort of way of understanding maybe the way that the Tory party like to use this issue um to sort of underpin their kind of agenda um and then more recently there's the the nationalities and borders bill um which it basically i mean it has an entire section of um it dedicated to modern slavery um i think it's basically dedicated to making it harder for people to become recognized as modern slaves so it gives people less time to to tell the home office that they think that they've been in some sort of exploitative situation um, it gives them less time to stay in the UK after that. Um, and so basically what happens is people will get shipped back to sort of wherever it happens to be that they've come from and will likely be in just as exploitative situations there or will have to embark on dangerous sort of migration journeys again. Um, I think it's a really bad thing and a really bad piece of legislation in a number of ways, but with regards to modern slavery, it's particularly um, just dreadful in terms of sort of making out, making it more difficult for people to kind of um 
be recognized as 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 uh people who are actually in some sort of situation of exploitation um and it's been like quite right widely criticized now by sort of modern slavery ngos and stuff like that who are really beginning to cotton on to the fact that uh the migration system is a really key part of what's causing uh, and driving sort of a lot of the most extreme forms of exploitation in the uk and so basically the problem with all of the tory kind of approach to modern slavery is that their ideology and their approach willfully must understand the causes of modern slavery um and especially when it comes to trafficking which obviously they use a lot because it, it is about like crossing borders and people often often think about trafficking as as a situation where someone's been like abducted and kidnapped uh, and moved across the border and that does happen but it doesn't happen on anywhere near the scale that you would kind of imagine and most of the time uh, the exploitation that happens uh, involving borders like trafficking is a situation of migration gone wrong um, and once you begin to understand that that it becomes really clear that that border regimes create trafficking because they create the opportunity for people to actually offend in that setting in that case because when people don't have the opportunity to move across borders uh, they don't stop needing to move but you do force them into the hands of, of people who are willing to do really horrible things um, interestingly the, the 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 limited research that there is on who traffickers actually are um, is that they're generalists and not specialists you know they're not specialists in moving people across borders they're generalists who might move cigarettes one week or people the next kind of thing um, I think that's interesting because um, there's this idea that there's sort of like really organized crime around this that you hear a lot but I, I just don't think that that exists in, in the way that, that, that people would claim necessarily. Um, basically when you make borders stricter and when you make uh, when there's too few safe and legal routes and there's a lack of regularization and no way for people to travel under the UN convention for example um, you create a pool of people who have no way of traveling safely um, and some of them might not be exploited on the journey but a lot of them will be either on the journey or at their point of the at the end at their destination um, because they have no way of accessing the country safely and there's nowhere they can go to report exploitation without fear of being deported um, and I think that's the real cruel irony of uh, the policies that the Conservative Party believe will tackle modern slavery is that they actually entrench further uh, the exploitation that people who move across borders face because for example actually if, if, you, if you take the planned policy of migrant pushback so that's turning boats around in, in, in the channel um, not only does that directly endanger migrants by keeping them in like one of the world's busiest shipping lanes for even longer than they absolutely need to be um, it, it will actually make trafficking worse because the conservatives are probably right in one sense that it will stop some some people wanting to, to traffic it uh, to do to, to to move people that way because uh, the risk will seem too high to them. But rather than actually stopping everyone doing that, what you end up doing is leaving the people who are willing to put people in most danger. Um, and so what you'll end up getting as well is is they'll be trying to recoup costs because they're not going to get their boats back by making vessels worse um, and then they'll also be able to uh, exploit the situation and, and make more money off it and make more profit off it because there will be such a higher demand for those services so we'll end up with more packed boats than there were before that are less safe 
and those people in in the channel for longer and all of those things are a real recipe for disaster i think um i think it's basically like any other policy of prohibition in the sense that it puts power in the hands of people who are willing to uh exploit others um and does nothing to really tackle the root cause and i think that's where i want to bring us on to to the labor movement and and socialism and, and where we are with it um i think first and foremost what the labor movement needs to do is we need to recognize the role that modern slavery plays in relation to our own aims and goals um i think there's a real kind of lack of engagement in in parts of the labor movement with this issue um or kind of an acceptance of this view that it's just like a, an individual crime that happens and so you sort of tacitly end up uh, accepting the kind of law and order um frame that's put around it um and i think that you know interestingly I, I, when i was researching this there, there are sort of things that come out from unions um sort of periodically that that are actually all right you know they're better than what government policy is at the moment um but then they don't do any sort of comprehensive um, campaigning around it. So you might occasionally get, you know, like Unite talking about overhauling the building sector because there's modern slavery in it. But then outside of that one issue, they don't sort of make a connection to the broader kind of um, situation of exploitation that, that goes on um, outside of that. And I think basically we really need to start doing that. Um, I think also um, it is politicians and, and, and board uh, politician borders politicians and bosses are using the idea of modern slavery to take ground away from the labor movement like as we speak because they would far rather audit their company once a year than have a unionized workforce and we need to have a better solution to that um basically we need to to, to stake our claim again um rather than leaving it up to sort of conservative politicians and and bosses who seem who you know have slightly more of a conscience and we'll try and audit their their kind of um supply chain i think we also need to be better at supporting sort of migratory workers and there's an idea that that people who migrate are really impossible to organize in terms of trade unionism and i don't necessarily think that's right um I, i'm not saying it's going to be easy but i think that you know if i move to manchester tomorrow uh i could be passed to a named organizer in manchester in my industry um and that would be able to support me in a far more robust way if we could ever have a situation where you know if someone came to the uk for a season of picking uh, like fruit picking um they could be passed to a named organizer somewhere and they could have their their rights sort of a lot more firmly based here because they would be able to talk to someone specific so at the moment you know trade union socialism sort of tends to be sending delegates around the world to 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 slightly iffy kind of countries a lot of the time um as opposed to to actually trying to organize at a rank and file level and i think we need to recapture that sort of organization at a rank and file level even as it goes across borders um i think the other thing is we need to oppose the hostile environment as it tries to sneak borders into places like hospitals and schools and councils and universities because basically if people are concerned that any institution they come across is going to deport them they're not going to report the facts that they think they're being exploited in any way. Um, another thing is I think we need to be campaigning for the decriminalization of sex work. A lot of unions actually have quite good policy on this, but uh, the, the, the sort of campaigning side of it um, 
is is really weak. Um, I've not spoken much about sex work today, so if, if anyone wants to ask me, I'll try and explain a little bit more in a bit. But um, basically, I think that it, it, in both directions, it makes life worse. So it makes life worse. It makes life worse for people who are sex workers, and it makes life worse for people who are actually trafficked for sex. That both uh, that sex work is criminalised, um, and modern slavery is then used to sort of as a justification for that criminalisation a lot of the time. Um, I think the basic principle of everything that I've talked about here today is that where you have lots of labor abuses, uh, you have really you have a breeding ground for really severe cases of exploitation. Um, and the role of socialists and the labor movement should be to stop that breeding ground existing. We should be setting out our stall as the frontline defenders of all of those people in the workforce, uh, no matter where they are. And like, I know we're a long way off that, you know, we're in, we're in a pretty dire straits in a lot of ways, but I think that's really where our sites need to be in terms of um, trying to take ground back from, from conservative politicians who basically have no idea what they're talking about.